It's the California Wine Country Podcast with Steve Jackson and Dan Berger. We taste, we laugh, we learn. It is uh, California Wine Country brought to you by Bottle Barn. Our guest today, Rob McNeil, the GM of uh, Fopiano Wines and Nova Peril. Rob, talk about how you uh, found Nova Peril and how uh, he became the winemaker for Fopiano. And how long ago was that? I, I, I don't know. I didn't necessarily find Nova. We found each other. Nova, <laughs> Nova started at Fopiano a couple of years before I showed up in 2017. Oh, Yes. Oh, that's right. Because yeah. yeah, you didn't. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. I knew that. And, and then when I showed up in seventeen, I asked the family if I could get my sparkling wine, you know, fingers back into it because I had had about a five, six year break. Hence, right. hence a couple small batches from the seventeen vintage. Sure. Yeah. So Rob introduced me to sparkling wine, and <laughs> I've never let him live it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you were still wine guy. Yeah, and, and it's, how it's do you great. deal with the sparkling yeah. wines? Now? Uh, it, it, it's it's a great thing. I mean, it's really the the idea that sparkling wine came about organically, essentially. You know, from from the mind of Dom Perignon, right? I mean, he's one of them. One of the guys. Yeah. I mean, there's. A, I'm sure it's a complicated history, but it's a really radical version of wine from a technical standpoint. Wine winemaking is so beautifully simple. And it's wine essentially will make itself within certain parameters. And sparkling winemaking is taking those parameters and making them as complicated as possible. Right. That's what it seems <laughs> like. I mean, and, whoa. And, and, and the product makes it worthwhile. So I'm not downgrading it. But it's just remarkable to me, remarkable to me every time I think about it how many interesting steps there are and how different they are to create essentially a, a, you know, wine. Wine. And a, and a notable step is that we picked the grapes earlier, at approximately at 19 bricks. So I show up and said, Nova, our harvest is starting in the middle of August, not you know after Labor Day. He's going, <laughs> that, Wait that was, a minute! Yeah. What? He's still sleeping in. Yeah, yeah exactly. So we, we you know, extended harvest a couple of weeks on the front end. But yeah. I, I, yeah, you've built up a nice appreciation over the years. It, it, and, it's it's yeah. been a big benefit to my overall knowledge of of wine for sure, and it's. I don't. I don't regret any of it. I'm not going to sign up to be uh, to do it again necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I come in. But, Dan, uh, are you tasting? It's a a zin or a no? This is a cabernet. It's a cab. Yeah. yeah, it's a cab. We'll talk about it. This is a 2019 Fopiano Cabernet Sauvignon Russian River Valley, which is a phrase that you don't hear very often because there's very little cabernet left growing in Russian River Valley. Russian River Valley is so blessed for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir that an awful lot of the vines that were growing there from other varieties have been butted over to Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. So Pinot Noir has become a dominant go-to wine for a lot of Americans. Yeah, no kidding. And every winery, whether they had made it, were making it in the past, these days, it seems like every winery's making Pinot. And on top of that, you've got Napa Valley wineries moving into Russian River Valley to buy fruit. And making Pinot Noir out of Russian River Valley with their right. Napa Valley names on the on the labels. So what we're seeing is a, a real conversion of uh, most of Russian River Valley to uh, Pinot Noir. And whatever Pinot Noir has been growing there, some of it's on the right soil, some of it's not on the right soil. But it makes no difference. It all makes red red wine. What 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 
what's left out of the Cabernet Sauvignon that's growing in Russian River is very special in one respect. It gives a wine that is very distinctive in Cabernet character, and it's not, that's the element that you don't see very often anymore. When you grow Cabernet in a very warm region, you're not going to get the dried herb components, which are a part of Napa Valley's history, their legacy, their, their, their long-term historical uh, profile. Those aromatics are basically being uh, uh, rooted out and thrown out. This wine shows Cabernet Sauvignon character. It's kind of a miracle in a certain way. Now, in some ways... Wow, a miracle from Dan Berger. <laughs> well, but, but It's a miracle Dan's even here. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. You can say that again. <laughs> but but the, the nice part about this is that it's not... Well, I shouldn't say nice. It's, it's, it's the, the most uh, uh, surprising thing about this wine is that it's so much like Cabernet that it shocks you in the nose. The aroma is absolutely Cabernet personified. I, I, I haven't tasted oh, it. You, yeah, yeah. But, but it's a challenge. The average consumer has not smelled or tasted this aromatic in the last 20 years. This is almost a throwback to 20 years ago. But when you finally taste it, you say to yourself, or at least I do, boy, this is going to be great in about 10 years in the cellar. Because Which is why I call him Dan Lay It Down Burger. <laughs> but this, absolutely, this stuff is, I mean, look. It's got all that dried herb component. It's got the green pepper, the, the red pepper. It's got the, Yeah, no, you're right. There's so much going on in this wine, man. Yeah. Jeez. And you just need to let it sit in a bottle for a few years before it ever shows itself. Oh, God. And to think it was an accident that we brought this, <laughs> we brought this one because we, I was reaching for the Carignan. So we, we were, we've been talking Italian varietals and, right. and varietals from, you know, their were popular to around the turn of the century. Carignan is kind of a varietal that's growing in popularity, and it's actually one of our most popular wines in the tasting room. And so I thought, hey, I'm gonna, I'll bring a bottle of Carignan, and we'll taste it on the air. So I grab this bottle. Rob and I come to the station. I open and it up. I Cabernet. taste it. I'm thinking to myself, hmm, this Carignan. I like it, but it's off. And then I look at the bottle, <laughs> and it's our cab. Yeah. <laughs> it's our Cabernet. So. But what Dan is saying, I, I'm I'm 100% in agreement because um, he he knows the varietal a lot better than I do. But I do recognize that the that the varietal in the region, it, and it almost doesn't matter which varietal in which region you're talking about. They're they're a team, and wines that are grown in certain region are going to show a certain character. And where where we are, we're right at the northern tip of Russian River. Right. And so if you look to the north. East, you'll see you're essentially looking at Alexander Valley, and if you're looking to the northwest, you're looking at Dry Creek, both very well known and warm regions. Right. So, really, we get a little bit of that warmth, but also some of the river influence. And so, really, it's a perfect spot for growing a lot of different varietals. The cab, anybody who's driven Old Redwood Highway right there by, our, by the winery, that strip, and seen all those. You know our our flowering plums in the spring. There's a there's an old vine vineyard right on the side of the road. Right 1970s next to planted in 1970, yeah. and that's wow. this wine. Yeah. So it's it's 1970 Cabernet, originally a head train vineyard, but it's on some vertical trellising now. But if you look close, you'll see some big gnarly vines, very low yield, and it really wow. is a wine that is unique. Even though it's even though everyone's heard of Cabernet, of course. 
and even Sonoma County Cabernet, a Russian River Cab is actually really rare now. It's very rare. And what I like about this wine more than anything else is the varietal character is it stands right out and says, it slaps you in the face and says, I am Cabernet. And you don't hear that from, you don't see that in, in Cabernets from warmer regions anymore at all. I mean, there's like, out of the, somebody asked me the other day, how many Napa Valley producers are making Cabernet that smells and tastes like the old Napa Valley Cabernet from the 70s? And I counted up six, six wineries. That's six. it. That's, That's it. it. There are six of them left. And then all the rest of them are making Me Too wines. I think the most important thing about what Fopiano has done over the last 50 years, 40, 50 years, is to maintain their dedication to the grape variety they're known best for. And that is Petit Syrah. And if, if anybody understands anything about Petit Syrah, there's more Petit Syrahs being produced today than ever before in history. A uh, lady by the name of uh, Joe Diaz, who runs the Petit Syrah Society called P.S. I Love You. Well, this is a fabulous example. What vintage is this? 21. This is 21. Wow. It's a fabulous wine. Well, what I really like about the fact that Fopiano has committed their, their entire... Um, Lifestyle, basically, to maintaining consistency with Petit Syrah. And this is an, a, a great example of a wine that is misunderstood by huge numbers of Americans. First of all, a lot of people who buy Petit Syrah think that it's just plain tannic. Well, that used to be true, but not anymore. Second, well, it is tannic to some degree, but it's also moderated by the fact that it's got so much fruit, it's unbelievable fruity. Now, the second part that it's most... The part of it that nobody understands, Steve, if anybody wants to lay, lay a wine down, this is the wine to lay down. I've got these things that go back 35, 40 years. They are phenomenal. They age like forever. A friend of mine by the name of Clark Smith, who's a chemist and a winemaker, recently did a survey on what he calls the oxygen appetite of all the popular grape varieties. and the Oxy- Oxygen appetite. Appetite. Tonight at uh, Hot Monks <laughs> in Sonoma. Yeah. I knew that was coming. Yeah, of course you did. Band. <laughs> so yeah, Clark, one of my favorite bands. Yeah. Right. So Clark did this thing. It was a very scientific thing. And he does this analysis, and he came up with the fact that the number one grape variety in the world that has more, it has the greatest capacity for uh, absorbing oxygen and not dying is Petit Syrah. You take a bottle of Petit Syrah and stick it in your cellar for 40 years, and it's probably still going to be good. Mm-hmm. Or maybe more, 50 years, whatever. I mean, I, don't, I, I can't live long enough to wait for, the, for, for my 1969 <laughs> bottle to come around. <laughs> Some of this stuff is fabulous. What do you, what do you guys think? No, I, th- I, I, I agree with what you said. In fact, I went to school with Clark. Uh, at Davis, he was he was a super smart front row guy in the lecture. I was more of the kind of the back row guy. <laughs> but we've stayed we've stayed friends over a number of years, and he's super smart technically, and I admire his work. And, and, and we donated some of our wine to that uh, to his cause to that research yeah. that we're oh, cool. talking yeah. about. Yeah. In fact, one of our best wines in the winery in our library is a 1993. And that's a thirty-year-old bottle of wine that's still alive and and with with fruit. And you can't you yeah. cannot kill uh, Petit Syrah. It's just impossible. Now I did have I had one example of a wine that that did sort of fade, uh, but it was at thirty-five years. Once it got to be thirty-five years old, I opened up 
I had four bottles left, and I opened one that was dead, and I thought to myself, okay, well, 35 is okay, but it's not going to be there in, anymore. That's Dan Lay It Down Burger. <laughs> I'm looking at calwinecountry.com, which is our website for California wine country, and it says Paul Masson played a critical role in California viticulture. And Dan, That's true. take that. I, I think that, that might be a, a, a quote I from just, you. I, I don't know that you knew this, but I just finished researching some Paul Masson stuff for my book. I'm writing a book. That's right. It's a long story. Uh, Paul Masson was uh, a, a French expatriate who came over to the United States in the 1880s um, began making wine down in Saratoga area. Right, yeah. And he planted some of the greatest vineyards uh, in California history. Now, one of the varieties that he planted was French Columbard. And the reason he planted French Columbard was that he wanted to make uh, champagne. Uh, you can't make champagne in the United States because it's technically a term that comes directly out of France. So you have to district. call it sparkling wine. Call it sparkling wine. But he called it California champagne at that time, and the French were irritated but they didn't say anything now, he, now the french are always irritated so what the hell <laughs> but anyway his his wine was probably made from from columbard but his columbard made a wine that was so good that it won a gold medal at the 1900 paris exposition and that was probably made in the 1890s but that wow. vineyard that he planted was probably the same vineyard that nova worked on i know i was gonna say uh, all these bells are going off in my head because the Palmasan Winery, which is now a music venue, people may have visited it. It's the Palmasan Winery is on one bench overlooking the Santa Clara Valley, now Silicon Valley. This is Saratoga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all Saratoga. I've so, been there. Yeah, so Palmasan was on one bench overlooking, you know, hillside, very steep, kind of Franciscan uh, Franciscan shale soils, very. A lot of oaks, you know, it looks very similar to our hillsides around here, but you have a lot of marine influence from the bay itself because it looks down on San Francisco Bay. So you have Palmasan had his little bump, and then you had Mount Eden Vineyards, which Palmasan helped Martin Ray establish, where I worked, coincidentally. Thank you for the story. <laughs> and then the next bump over is Ridge Montebello. So you have these extremely famous, well-known uh, vineyards, all making wine, and to get back to the Paul Masson, he was the guy that basically started the whole thing in that area. And Remarkable. It was, and it was his winemaker was Martin Ray. He hired Martin Ray to be his winemaker after he had gotten all this acclaim for his sparkling wine. His wow. still wines were being made by Martin Ray. Wow. And Martin eventually struck out on his own and was making wines. And I, in my book, I write that Martin Ray made some of the best and worst wines in the history of America. <laughs> Long story. Yeah. And, and another interesting thing about Martin Ray, since we got an audience about it's interested, is that yes. he was key. Our one listener is going to be <laughs> fascinated by this. Go ahead. He was key in, in, the, in the varietal aspect of California winemaking because everything up to that point was um, Chablis and Burgundy, hardy Burgundies sure. and, and things of that nature. And I think... It, from what I understand, is that he was so frustrated because he couldn't produce uh, wine that had varietal character because he couldn't get wines that were the varietal. So he wanted to, I know that sounds complicated, but he wanted to make Pinot Noir, for example, but he couldn't get California Pinot Noir because everything was called 
burgundy and it wasn't Pinot anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he he was down on the docks, you know, trying to get the cases of wine directly from the, you know, the regions of France where he wanted. And it really was kind of like a th- he threw up his hands and said, all right, we've got to start planting varietals and call them what they really are. Right, Dan? Something like that. Yeah, the one interesting aspect of this, which is part of my book, I just did finish the research on, was there was a gentleman by the name of Emmett Rixford, R-I-X-F-O-R-D, and he was a Cabernet freak. And he, in 1884, he planned. Cabernet Freak Sunday at Hot Monk. <laughs> Thank you very much. We need this. Always. I can't stop doing it. Okay. <laughs> and it always cracks him up, so on Fridays I just can't help myself. All right. So Emmett Rixford in 1884 planted legitimate Cabernet Sauvignon from vines that he had gotten from Bordeaux. And he planted them in what is now uh, Redwood City. Oh, now, it's, really? on, it's, on, it's on the uh, uh, website uh, of another winery. Um, I forget the name of the winery. They're up there in Redwood City now. And it's the original Emmett Rixford planting because that wine was originally called... Um, uh, was called... Um, wine? Uh, i think of the name in a moment. It was called wine. It, yeah, well, it, was, it was 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. And then at some point... Uh, he began to sell the wine locally in the San Francisco Bay Area for the completely outrageous price of one dollar per bottle. <laughs> That's a cool story, dude. <laughs> he, of course, is Dan Berger. It's California Wine Country, brought to you by Bottle Barn every Friday in the five o'clock hour on the Drive. Our special thanks to our guest today, Rob McNeil, GM at Fopiano, and the winemaker there in Nova Peril. You guys, thanks so much, and it's great to see Thank you again. Thank you. This is fun. It's been too long, yeah. mm-hmm. and I'll make sure Dan gets you back sooner okay. than later. No thanks, problem. you guys.